Uh, I'm not going to bring a daft quip or quote today. I am going to introduce... He's not a daft quip or quote. <laughs> Ralph, um, who's going to give us a fabulous talk this morning, I'm sure. Um, you may or may not have noticed that he's Australian. <laughs> and therefore, you might assume that he's brilliant at cricket. Well, it turns out he does play cricket, but he's a number 11 batsman. I mean, you know, what's that? Plays for King's Heath thirds, but he has actually yet to be dismissed. That means he's not been out yet this year. Is that still true? I don't know, but that's what he told me a while ago. However, there's a question about the authenticity of this, because it turns out he hasn't told them he's once been an opening batsman playing at number 11. (laughs) Aussie rules, eh? Aussie rules. Please, Ralph, take us on. And I can start with another secret. If you come early, you have an extra bonus. Nick's wonderful playing. We'll um, we'll begin uh, with the uh, the theme today is discovering the authentic self through loving kindness, and we'll start. Maria, if you'd help me with lighting the chalice. Thank you. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just for some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same as we liberate our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I'd like to now (coughs) sing 196 in the Purple Book, a lovely hymn by Andrew Hill, We Sing the Faith. Danny's cat 
is three years old. And Danny's cat was found by Danny as a small kitten, very frightened by a big dog. So, this story is called The Dog Poo Free Zone. (laughs) Danny's mum and dad had a very good reason for not liking dog poo. It was because... I thought this was the children. (laughs) It's for everyone. It was because every time Danny came home, he was in a hurry. And he went racing into the house, up to his room, either to put a special possession that he just found away, or to get something he wanted, down to the kitchen, because he was always hungry, back into the front room just in case his favourite TV show show had started, and if not, out to the backyard to play cricket. (laughs) And by the time Danny's mum and dad discovered what Danny had stepped in (laughs) on the footpath on his way in, there was a long task of sniffing and scrubbing throughout the house. So you can see why they didn't particularly like dog poop. Now, at this time, Danny's neighbours, who were called Daniela and Monica, decided it was time to have a little more privacy, so they built a fence, six-foot fence around the front, with a big gate around the front of their house. A six-foot paling fence. Have you ever seen a cat walk down the top of a paling fence, one foot over the other, right to the end. This was Danny's cat's new post. The big post right at the front of Danny and Monica's fence. And shortly after, Danny's mum was looking out the front window and suddenly... Danny's cat that was sitting very majestically, suddenly it reared up. I don't mean sss. (laughs) Have you ever seen a cat with its hair come up when it's really, really angry? And she looked and there was a dog owner and a dog judiciously crossing the road and walking along the other side. And ever since that moment, the front footpath in front of Danny's house became a dog poo free zone. (laughs) If anyone would be kind enough and has the spare time to think about drawing a picture of Danny's cat, I'd be very grateful. Thank you. And perhaps now time for children to go on with your adventures today. Thank you for listening. And now it's time for me to call upon the Hucklow players. <laughs> if you would assemble. <clears throat> and I must mention that, in, except for one who already has an agent, I have signed them up, so if you are... <laughs> Let me set the scene. It is 19th century rural rural Australia. We are in a one-room slab hut. A slab hut is constructed by taking posts, splitting them straight down the middle. The smooth side goes inward, the outside, the rough side is the exterior wall. You usually can see through the cracks. Earthen floor hearth at one end, a curtain across mum and dad's bed at the other and it's tough times there's been a drought for five years five years the ground is cracked the wheat crop has failed and just that day 
there's been a bit of a grass fire that not only burnt the remains of the grass but burnt down the fence as well, despite Dad's very best efforts. We have Dad, we have Mum, and we have the three children, Dan, Dave and young Joe. comes from a short story by Steele Rudd. I've been in the Barks slab hut in which this scene occurred and um, it's an iconic series of Australian short stories. But I wonder, have I triggered any memories for you? Have you ever felt angry or, like like Danny's cat, felt hatred towards perhaps even felt justified hatred. I want to start by trying to bring to your attention what it's like to feel angry. So, I would like you to share with me a couple of little tasks on a worksheet. The worksheet I've printed double-sided, so please look only at the side with the number one on it. Out of interest for saving paper, I beg you not to turn over yet. Could could you help by passing the worksheets? Go to other areas and pass them on. Thank you. See, I get value for money out of my actors. (laughs) While these are being handed out, let me just let me just offer a. of qualification. It is possible that some, someone or some people here may either have come feeling angry about something or that this may actually bring back an angry memory. I want to ask you please, if you wish, I'm here and Michael and Lindy have offered to be available at any point. I'm touching on a tough topic so please if you feel the need we are here to support you and if you choose to leave because you don't want to go there that's fine 
And on the bottom of the worksheet, you will find there is a um, <coughs> some suggested contact points as well. So on this worksheet numbered one, page one, I'm asking you for an example, and this is for your own personal use only, please be assured, I'm not going to ask you to share with others, but I want you to actually go there, if you can, to think of a time when you have been angry, personally angry, because you didn't get what you wanted. Now, it could be because you didn't get access to the kids. It could be because you didn't get that job which was rightfully yours. There could be, but I want you to think of something that was big, a moment in your life where you did feel personally angry. And take a few minutes, use pseudonyms, just go there and maybe make a few notes and respond to the questions. I'm sorry to press, but I want you to go back to that question, is it fully resolved? Has it never come back and bitten you unexpectedly when you least expected? And now if you're ready, I would ask you to turn the page over, and this time I want you to think about when something that you have personally experienced happening to someone near you has made you angry. It could be your partner. It could be a person at work who's being bullied. Sometime in your life where you felt really angry about something you are personally observing. So I don't mean the atrocities that we see on television. I mean where it has been something that you have been close to the person for whom you felt angry. And we have the same questions. The first one is where you have felt angry about something that has been done or you perceive has been done to you. Mm-hmm. The second one is where someone who is close to you has had something done about which you felt angry on their part. We're now going to distribute two pages from The Engaged Spiritual Life by Donald Rothberg, forward by Jack Cornfield, um, from Chapter 8, which is called transforming anger. It's just two pages, but I thought rather than read two pages uh, given that I am a literate group, I thought if we distributed it, you could read it and then pause over the bits that meant or resonated for you. It's back on back. It's, it's just it's um, my my usual, you start on page 152, by the way. <laughs> page 152 is where you start. Do we start at the top? At the top, please. At the top of page 152. It just happened to be that the reading I wanted fitted exactly on two pages. So starting with the top of page 152, you have two pages to read. Why, you might ask, have I spent so much time on anger? The reason is my talk is called The Deceptively Simple Art of Forgiveness. And I felt it important first to recall how dark and how intrusive anger can be, how disruptive of one's being it can be. Anger, as the reading suggested, may be justified in some circumstances, but for how long? 
and in what manner? And when does it tip into being destructive? I want to share with you something of my practice and my use of loving-kindness meditation and how this, I think, relates to the authentic self. Because it and other practices that I've developed have transformed my way of being. I want to start, though, with a disclaimer. I'm not a Buddhist, and I don't seek to represent the teachings of the Buddha. I have chosen to interpret what I have read in my own life, but I am not striving to present myself as a Buddhist or a Buddhist teacher, simply a Unitarian who's drawn from a, a wisdom source. I think I can claim that anger is an emotion that we all encounter (coughs) at some point in our life. I also observe some people who do little or seem to do little to avoid anger, even though anger often leads to outcomes that we regret. Even when our thoughts turn to bitterness, if you have the capacity to arouse feelings of kindness and love, you can not only overcome experiences of anger, but as you develop the practice, you can anticipate and even circumvent expressions of anger, in my experience. And loving-kindness meditation is a practice taught by Buddhists to develop the mental habit of selfless or agape love, in my interpretation of this. In the Dharmapada, it is written, hatred cannot coexist with loving-kindness. Loving-kindness dissipates, sorry, anger dissipates if supplanted with thoughts based on loving-kindness. And I find loving-kindness, as a meditation practice, enables positive attitudinal changes in me, develops a quality of loving acceptance. It's a way of healing myself and my troubled mind. And it allows me to achieve, or I can therefore achieve what I call right effort, that I will refer to is one of the eightfold paths elements so, and I achieve that in moments where otherwise or around me others can burst into anger if regularly practice you can develop a habitual reactive behaviour uh, which enables one in times of stress and challenge I quote, I quote from one, a, a Buddhist source Loving-kindness is a meditation that produces four qualities of love. Friendliness, compassion, appreciative joy and equanimity. The kindness practice matures and as it does it naturally overflows into compassion. As one empathises with other people's difficulties... Um, it becomes a compassion. But you have to be careful that it doesn't overflow into pity, which is a near similar but not the same thing. The the writing says a near enemy of compassion is pity. A pity mimics the quality of concern without the empathy. The positive expression of empathy is an appreciation of other people's good qualities or good fortune or appreciative joy rather than feelings of jealousy towards them. The practice comes to maturity as on-looking equanimity. This engaged equanimity must be cultivated or there is a risk of it manifesting as its near enemy indifference or aloofness. 
So ultimately you remain kindly disposed and caring towards everyone with an equal spread of loving feelings and acceptance in all situations and relationships. In other words, you develop a capacity for agape within and throughout your community. People almost invariably then ask me, well, does this mean turning the other cheek? The answer is no. Buddha's teachings, as I interpret them, are that one can be strong, hold to one's sense of justice and truth, and also be compassionate towards the person whose actions are disturbing or disruptive. And I've found that sometimes people who are acting in an aggressive or provocative way because they are seeking to evoke a reaction are quite disarmed by a response that is strong but not angry that is strong and steadfast in the face of their provocation we saw a little vignette play of people stressed to a breaking point where there was an explosion of anger and a disruption has happened perhaps in many families at times. Certainly it happened a lot in tough times in the 19th century in rural Australia and even in my own family there's a story of one son walking out never to be seen again probably probably suffering from hunger and thirst perished trying to walk a hundred miles to somewhere where they might make a new start it happened more than once so obviously if one had the capacity to develop a, a loving kindness practice one might have had a different reactive situation, even under most stressful circumstances. I've seen it play out in employment situations where either an employee or or an employer is seeking to provoke, either to get someone to resign or to create a, a situation of conflict. And again, a compassionate, loving kindness, but principled stand can be very disarming and create space for other solutions. So I practice loving kindness every day. But I live a full life. So the way I do this is that once a week I have a long loving kindness sit. And in that loving kindness sit I first give myself loving-kindness. Then someone who is close to me, I gift loving-kindness. Then someone who I've met who I don't really know, a neutral person. So far, so good. And then I seek to address a person for, for whom my thoughts are disturbed. Angry, perhaps. And I, I can tell you to hold that person in the palms of my hand, in my mind, and to visualise them happy, and to give them a sincere loving-kindness blessing can at times be a very, very hard task. But I persist. And during the week, I will repeat the loving-kindness Meditation, always coming to that same person. And I will persist for weeks or even months until I feel, at last, an awareness of their divinity and their compassion. (coughs) And there have been occasions where, thinking I have achieved that, sometime later, someone has pressed the wrong button. And I've had to go back and start again. (laughs) But I have found it a wonderful tool. 
And I just mentioned as an aside, on one occasion, I was doing my mini loving kindness after I'd seen, in, where I was living in Birmingham, the buses came every four minutes, in theory. <laughs> what that means is three buses came in one minute <laughs> and then there was a gap and so the sign said the next bus was due in ten minutes so I sat down dutifully and started my loving kindness meditation not realising that we just introduced a new um, uh, hybrid bus which silently drifted up <laughs> Hey, Guru, are you getting on the bus? (laughs) (laughs) Sprung. (laughs) Now, um, this daily practice of of recalling my loving-kindness focus um, is something that I, I practice because it is um, it, I don't know if it helps the recipients I've never asked any of them <laughs> and I mean by that the ones I'm really having to work hard with but I know it helps me because through it I can resolve my feelings and then I can move positively in my re- future relations with that person If in fact I often have to um, the practice is, is, in fact, based on the teachings of the Buddha that we all experience suffering. You've probably heard of the four noble truths. The first is that we all experience suffering. And the second is that the origins of suffering come from misplaced desire, misplaced greed, ignorance, or especially misplaced hatred. And the loving-kindness meditation, I think, focuses especially on the third of those. And mind you, there are positive forms of desire. The desire for enlightenment and the desire for goodwill for all are desires that are positive. The third noble truth is that um, the cessation of suffering is achieved by being free from attachments. Now, I'm not an ascetic. I don't give up everything in order to be free of attachments. But I have developed the capacity to accept that the things that I have and the things that are around me are not my own personal possessions in in that I cling to them. And I find that when things are taken away from me, or or lost, that I no longer experience the same sense of personal loss. I accept, I have a much greater acceptance when things go. And I find that adds to this sense of avoiding the suffering. And of course the fourth noble truth is in fact the eightfold path, which is a set of elements which you... You live your life through, not stepwise, but as a whole, as a composite. And one of those is the right effort, cultivating positive states of mind, freeing oneself from evil and unwholesome states and preventing them arising in the future. I I, I can never remember the Eightfold Path. I always have to look it up when I have to remind myself. But I think I've absorbed a lot of it in the way I live. And so um, I have included it in the notes which will eventually be available so you don't have to go and look it up again. (laughs) Um, All of us, I suspect, if asked, as well-intentioned people as we are, would probably say, oh, yes... I, um, I do forgive people. And in fact, if we never forgave anyone, we'd be a pretty sorry lot, wouldn't we? But um, if you feel that way, you might think, well, that's all right for you, but I really don't need loving-kindness meditation. Um, I, I'm able to forgive people. And 
That's why I asked you to really think at the beginning about your anger and about anyone who'd ever really got under your skin. Because I do need loving-kindness meditation because there are people in my past life who've got under my skin. And I have found a transformative experience by really developing this art of loving-kindness. It takes me sometimes a long time to achieve fullness of loving-kindness toward some few people. And as I said, on a couple, I've really had to be reminded to go back more than once and rework it at a deeper level, to really dig it into it and, and really release it. You know... Through this practice, I've come to avoid a lot of anger, potentially angry situations. And one of my teachers said, whenever you meet someone, or whenever you're engaging with someone, look into their eyes and see their divinity. And one of my fellow students said, oh, come on, that's not possible with everyone. (laughs) And the teacher said... With some people, it does take a little longer. (laughs) But it is still worth doing. And I'm saying that from personal witness, from the experience of exercising that in real times of stress and how it has helped me and those around me to address stressful and difficult environments. I use there are there are different forms of the loving kindness mantra that I've seen or heard or seen used. Um, I use a four part model as I explained. I apply it to myself first. I then, as I said, apply it to someone who I love, then to someone who I know, and finally I go to the deceptively simple task of applying it to someone for whom I have felt anger or annoyance. And the mantra that I use is the following. May you be well. May you be happy. May you be free of suffering. I wonder if you would now consider joining me in a shared blessing. If you don't feel comfortable sharing the mantra of may you be well, may you be happy, may you be free of suffering with others in the group, please feel free not to take part and that may be for whatever reason you choose. And if you don't feel you're able to stand, then please take a seat where other people can come to you. What I'm going to ask is that we form a large circle right around the chairs, disturbing, of course, all the people, at the productive people at the back. <laughs> so if you're willing, would you please stand and join me in a large circle... Would you like would you like to sit? Yeah, and now with every second well, let's start with Anna. Would you put your hand up and every second person, every second person put your hand up as coming around. Every second person. And we could actually start this way as well, every second person. Just gently put your hand up. No. Yes. Yeah. Forgive her. Right, now are we equal? Yes. Right. Now, the people without your hand up, would you turn and come and face the person to your 
Right? <laughs> Who has their hand up at the back? <laughs> you can put your hands down. In fact, will you hold your hands out but not touching? Palms up. And then turn your right hand palm over. Only your right hand. So you now have one hand palm up, one hand palm down. So we now have a, an equitable situation when you touch hands. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you now, the people who have turned in and are on the inside circle will be the people who will be the movers, the others obviously the takers. <laughs> and, and I ask you now, with me, to share with that person looking into their eyes to see their divinity, say, may you be well. May you be happy. May you be free of suffering. And all the inside circle move one to the left. Move one to the person to the left. Move to the next person. Move to the next person. <laughs> And let's begin again. May you be well. May you be happy. May you be free of suffering. May you be free of suffering. I would ask you now, if you would please, take a few minutes in silence. <coughs> Enjoy the hilarity of some of what happened, but also, please, how did it feel to look into someone's eyes and say, may you be well, may you be happy, may you be free of suffering. Let's sit for a few moments and reflect on how it felt for us. May we all find, in our own ways, the strength and the capacity for loving-kindness for all sentient beings. I'd like you now to open the Purple Book at 100.
someone who did you wrong. Though its way is to strike in a dumb rhythm, stroke upon stroke, and through the heart where an anvil, the hurt you sent, had a mind of its own. Something in you knew exactly how to shape it, to hit the target slipping into the heart, through some wound window left open since childhood. While it struck outside, it burrowed inside, made tunnels through every ground of confidence. For days it would lie still until a thought would start it. Meanwhile, you forgot, went on with other things and never even knew how that perfect shape of hurt still continued to work. Now a new kindness seems to have entered time, and I can see how that hurt has schooled my heart in a, uh, in a compassion I would otherwise have never learned. Somehow now I have begun to glimpse the unexpected fruit you, your dark gift had planted, and I thank you for your unknown work. So may it be. Thank you.
as the football strikes the wall. <laughs> we are brought back to the moment. Um, Michael isn't here at the moment, um, which gives me uh, an opportunity. But first to remind you of the offer at the beginning. I can see that there are a couple of people who maybe have been touched. I meant to disturb and to shake, but I also mean to hold out hands of love and understanding as Lindy has offered, Sue and Michael and myself. So please, if, if I shook a little too hard or if you feel you just want to go back and touch something again later, we are here to stand with you. And also, it gives me the chance of saying a special thank you to the Hucklow players. <laughs> And to all of you for sharing today. And I think it's probably time for more than that.